Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out the Thrive Podcast. We are the Young Adult Ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Wednesdays at 730 in our Family Life Center. If you enjoy this podcast, we'd love for you to post it to your Instagram story and tag us at NBC Thrive on Instagram. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. And Lord, we do pray that, that we would praise your name. God, despite how we have come in here tonight, um, whether we are stressed, whether we are tired, whether we are confused, or whether we are doing extremely well, God, I believe wholeheartedly that you have something that you want to do tonight. Whether it is in my heart or someone in this room, God, I ask that you would minister to us in a unique way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do your thing that you always do. Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see what we need to see? Would you comfort where we need comforted? And God, would you be glorified? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can uh, take a seat. If you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus uh, 14 tonight. Exodus 14 is where we're going to be. And before we jump in... Two quick announcements for you guys, uh, just by way of what's going to be happening here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Next week, December 23rd is Wednesday night. Uh, We will continue to meet. So we will be in here December 20. Yeah, you can clap. I mean, some of you were trying to get the hot cocoa and the PJs out, but we'll be in here. Wear your PJs next week. I don't care. Looks like someone's got them on tonight. But uh, come next uh, week on the 23rd. And also, if you have uh, nowhere to go, you are a wanderer or wondering, whatever, uh, December 24th, Christmas Eve, in here, in this room, um, we are having a Christmas Eve service. I'll be in here, Ethan, we'll be sending it, so if you would like to come, you just need to register, and if you're like, how do I register? Honestly, just show up, because it'll be fun. So anyway, December 23rd, we're in here, December 24th, we're in here. If you have nowhere to go, we would like you to be here. So tonight, uh, what I would like to do is to talk about the idea of this, this idea of an open door. The idea that when you need an open door, or maybe you have been in this position, you need an open door, and God is nowhere to be found. He's nowhere to be found. And in last week, we talked about surrendering, that when you surrender, that the person you are surrendering to needs to be more important than the thing that you're surrendering to. We talked about, remember, surrendering privet. Some of you will get that. We talked about that. We talked about surrendering our insecurities. We talked about all these things and when you surrender and how you surrender. And tonight, tonight, I'm going to, again, preach through a whole chapter. Uh, Pray for me as we send it here in a minute. But when you do so... When you talk through a whole chapter, sometimes, some nights we'll do a verse and sometimes a whole chapter, when you do so, uh, you have to read a lot of things to give context because this guy Moses, this guy Moses is an absolute monster for God, but he seems so often like a big sissy. You would resonate with him because God will ask him to do some big things, and he'll say, well, I don't really want to do that. And he'll go back and forth with God. Moses is a character in chapter 2. He kills a man, and people find out. He gets caught. Uh, God calls him to speak for him. He can't do it, tells him to go here. He doesn't want to go, and he's going back and forth with God. I believe that myself, and maybe like a lot of you, you would resonate with this character, Moses. In the principles that he applied really to doing what God had called him to do. And in in tonight, what we're really going to focus on is this. Some of you are in a season or stage of life. You need an open door. You don't want one. You need one. 
Talked about last week where the clock is ticking, you feel pressure uh, pulling in on you. Maybe it's career, it's relationship, it's family situations, and you would just say, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I need help. Maybe you have tried before to pray to God in your car on the way home, and that lasted about 30 seconds, maybe three, and it didn't do anything, and then maybe you tried to do the verse of the day, it didn't really do anything for you. You met with a a pastor, a parent, a family member, and it sounded like they were speaking Greek to you, and you talked with them, and you're like, I don't know what to do. And then you would maybe pray this prayer, which I have prayed often. God, if you will open a door, I'll do it. Just open the door, and for those of you maybe not church, you don't have a church background, open door, what we are saying is that we would ask that God would make the decisions available for you to make. So for some of you, an open door would be that if you're praying for a relationship, that open door would actually be someone with a pulse, right? That they would text you, that they would respond to you, like, where are they, right? And, and the idea with an open door, when there's not an open door, um, some of you would say that you will break down the door. Well, they ain't a door, I'm going to bust through this thing or I'll smash a window. Uh, when you do that, uh, you look really foolish and you make God look inconsistent or unable to help you. In the last part of this, and God is nowhere to be found. Isn't it frustrating to go to God if you believe in him, and even if you don't, to give him a shot and to pray to him and say, open this door, make something clear to me, and it seems like he becomes more and more silent or maybe more and more distant. It is frustrating. And this guy, Moses, he really, really is going to give us some things that I think will serve us well. And before we go to Exodus, I want to, talk, I want to first jump off into Genesis uh, chapter 4. It says in verse 13 and 14, Cain, who just killed his brother Abel, uh, said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Because he just killed his brother. He said, Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. Here's what is true about Cain and true about you. When you do something wrong and I do something wrong, do we run to God or away from God? Bible quiz. Away. We always were running and we're hiding, just like some of these biblical characters. He says, I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. So for some of you, when I say fugitive or wanderer, you're kind of like, you like the idea of being a wanderer. You kind of want to be a hippie for Jesus. You think Jesus was a hippie? You want a van with a big peace sign around the back? I see, you know, in your, at your house, you got your dream car. You, you like the idea of being a wanderer. You don't like commitment? Oh, no, 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 no. You don't commit to nothing, right? Even semesters are intimidating to you because something might come up. You don't like that. You don't want to do that. I mean, even committing to a relationship, you give it a day or two, and then if something comes up, you don't like being tied down. And that's not what we're talking about here tonight. But for some of you, maybe you would say, when you look back in your relationship with God, you look back. Maybe you look over your high school years, you look over your college years, you would say, why does it always seem like or feel like I am wandering I'm, I'm wondering what to do, right, with the interchange, I'll talk about that here in a second. We're wondering what to do. You just feel like it's not, last week we talked about it not being a, a location, but rather where you live. You're always wandering. You're always seeking to be found or to find something or someone. You're looking for purpose and meaning and something, something to be worth your time. 
And it says in Exodus 13, right before 14, it says this, the Lord went before them, the people of Israel, by day in, the, in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. I think that's sweet. And then he says, and by night, in what? A pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. God is leading them constantly. I would kill for a flame. Wouldn't you? I don't know, maybe it's just me tonight. I mean, get just a torch. You imagine walking out tonight and God just leads, just this flame flying around. You're like, left turn signal, right, right. And in the daytime, a cloud leading these people. That's weird. Some of you have never read that. You're like, that's what y'all believe, like, like the cloud. and Don't follow random clouds, right? This is how God led them. I think he leads us differently. But often when it says day and night, God is, despite what some of us would believe and feel, God is leading you just as much as he wanted and did lead the people of Israel. He has not abandoned you. It says in Exodus 2, 24 and 25, God remembered his covenant with the people. He heard their cries. And it says in verse 25, God knew them. He knew what they were going through. So God has not abandoned you. And when you cry out to God, he hears your prayers and he seeks to guide you. That is absolutely awesome. But it doesn't change the way you feel, does it? You're like, well, why ain't he saying nothing? What am I supposed to do? So tonight, we're going to talk about that idea. Exodus 14, I'll have it on the screen or if you want to follow along. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people to turn back and encamp in front of, oh boy, Pi-Hahirath. I think that's how the Bible app says it. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say they are wandering. Is it the wonder years or the wander years? I don't know. I think it's the wonder years. The reason I didn't stick with wonder is because next two weeks I won't be in Exodus. But anyway, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I, and, and then God says this, I will get glory over Pharaoh, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Here's where God places these people. God says, I want you to face this direction, and the direction that you want to go is the direction you need to face, right? That there is something about this idea where he says, hey, you feel shut in, and God says to them, face this direction, and the direction they face is a sea, they are in the wilderness. They are wandering in the land. These people have no idea what they're doing or where they're going. There's a, a flame by night, a cloud by day, and he is guiding them. And as he guides them, where does he tell them to go? Face the sea. The sea? That seems very, very weird. Why would you face the sea? They know how to swim. They got Michael Phelps on the squad. They got boats. What do they have? And why would God tell them to face this direction? I believe, I believe, the principle here is often this. Wherever you want to go, sometimes you need to ask God and tell him. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, five guard your steps. The direction of your steps will determine the direction of your life. So if you want God to lead you, you have to what? Follow him. You have to pursue him. And the way you are facing, hopefully, is the way you actually want to go. So if you don't want God to really lead you in any way, that you can just face whichever way you want, which means practically this, that you wouldn't seek him for an answer. You wouldn't pray for him to guide you. You wouldn't 
go to him for any sense of direction until you're actually in the wilderness. These are what these people are doing. Chapter 14, verse uh, 5. The king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. The mind of Pharaoh and his servants changed toward the people. So here's what happened. Pharaoh told them, hey, Moses, you did all these plagues. You did this crazy stuff with the, with the, with the, you know, the staff. You did this crazy stuff with the sea. It was red and the locusts and all this stuff. You guys can go. So they start to leave, and as they're leaving, Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, uh-uh. What is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? He made ready his chariot and took his army with him. He pursued the people of Israel with the people of Israel were going out definitely. All of Pharaoh's army overtook them and encamped them at the sea of wherever that is by Pi-Hahirath. I think that's the name. So here's what is weird about this story. God is leading the, I need you, I'm going to get to the application at the end here, but just stay with me. God is leading the people of Israel in this direction. You guys can go. They get to a direction which is facing a sea that is literally a dead end in the road. As they get there, Pharaoh changes his mind, sends the people to kill them. If you were the people of Israel, what would you think? God, have you let me go to simply embarrass me? Have you guided me to simply make me look like a what? Fool. Have you given me any direction to simply not show your greatness, but to make me look like an idiot, that I didn't know uh, how to pick a boyfriend or girlfriend, that I didn't know how to have any sense of direction with what I can do with my life and career and calling, that I have no, did you call me to abandon me? And what would Moses be thinking? God, come on. After all I have done for you, what? You've done nothing for me. Verse 10. Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel. They lifted up their eyes. The Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Wouldn't you? It says about around 2 million people approaching, if you read some commentaries, if you're a commentary person, uh, 2 million people coming to destroy them. They're, they're scared, rightfully so. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, and this is where it gets so good, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to bring, in bringing us out of Egypt? We said, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. <clears throat> I believe Often when God is starting to work in your life and starting to do stuff in your life and you sense a dead end or you sense something that you don't, it doesn't look good, right? Our perspective, our eyes, we can't see anything. And right when God wants to do something, what do a lot of us do? We just turn back. We just doubt. What, God, why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? Why did you allow the cancer? Why did you allow this? And why did you allow this to take place? And why did I do bad on it? And you instantly just blame God right in the midst, right? This is what they're doing, just like us. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So they approach Moses. They start blaming Moses. My heart goes out to Moses. I like him. He the man. I mean, my heart goes out to him because he doesn't even want to be here. He's kind of like, really, God? This is who you call me to serve? I didn't want to do this, really. You kind of forced my hand on it. I didn't really feel like this is where my calling was anyway. I kind of went hesitantly, didn't really feel it. And he says, Moses said to them, he gives them four things. Fear not. We'll talk about that in a second. Stand firm. 
See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Silence feels like hell to me. I don't know about you. Silence is something that I'm actually scared of a little bit. Silence too long, where does it lead you? What thoughts enter your head? What doubts enter your head? What fears enter your head? Most of us, myself, we live lives so we don't have to face silence. So I don't have to be in my head. I got things running all the time, conversations running all the time. I don't even want to shut off a notification because what if I'm silent? Then what will happen? And it's in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Silence is where God is able to do the majority of his work. For these people, and it's almost like he's telling them, hey, would you guys shut up? You guys are like, I wasn't talking to you. He's, he's saying, would some of you just shut up? God needs to do some things, and a lot of times, we'll talk about here in a second, when you are able to let go is when, it God, when God is able to do the most work. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Because we're in trouble. We're facing a sea. We, I mean, they're coming to kill us, God. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. I will get glory over Pharaoh. So remember last week I talked about the staff? Yeah, I brought one. So actually, uh, when I was done, uh, I had a few people were like, hey, I was listening and uh, I got a staff for you. So I was like, sure, I'll use it. Uh, Shepherd's staff, right? Moses in Exodus 4.2, God says, what is in your hand? Talks about the staff. Moses is keeping the flock. While he has the staff the entire time, God uses this type of thing for him to turn into a snake, to, to do other miracles, and to prove his power. And right here, he says, tell the people to go forward, and what would you say? You want me to walk through the water? What do you want me to do? There's no open door. And he says, go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch it over the sea. And Moses realizes what God has given him. And honestly, even as I hold this thing, it feels like really just like it's here. Like it's not much here. It's just there. It doesn't feel significant. It doesn't feel powerful. It doesn't, yeah, it is just wood. Like this thing doesn't feel like it's going to do anything for me. And as we talked about last week, when you are in the wilderness and God is trying to use what's in your hand, we talked about gifts, we talked about talents, talked about the Bible, that when you have something in your hand, you always will focus on what you don't have in your hand, right? You'll see the things you don't have, the relationships you don't have. When you're in the wilderness or you're struggling in a season, you'll blame God. Not for, you won't thank him for what you have. You'll blame him for what you don't have. And Moses realizes what's in his hand because God constantly, constantly reminds him because he forgets, just like you and I. Verse uh, 16, I believe it is. Next one. Or 21, sorry. <clears throat> then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall on them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, 
the Lord in the pillar in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels. The Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them. Right, so not even being, exa- not, not even being dramatic here, exaggerating, God splits the sea for them, right? Splits the sea, dry ground, they start to walk through. As he says, go forward, he splits the sea, they walk through, the Egyptians are coming, as they're coming, God just sends them through a mess, and here is the, right, you're not splitting the sea tonight. I mean, I don't think so, right? Go down to Springfield Lake. We're like holding up the staff, right? We're trying to like, let's do this. That's not going to happen. But here's what I will say is, is super sweet about this part of the story. The people who are against them, right? Remember last week, chapter three, they, 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 they. The people who are against them fear God, and are able to see God working in their life because of their obedience. And if there's any prayer I have for my life and for your life, is that other people would be able to see my life and to see your life and say, man, the Lord fights for her. The Lord works in that life. God uses him. That my obedience, regardless of what it looks like, that God would be able to use it and other people would be able to see it and say, man, God is working in his life. Verse 26, last little bit here. The Lord, stretched, the Lord said, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. The Egyptians fled. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And here's what's a kicker here. So the people, what? Feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and his servant, Moses. I hope so. I hope that would do it. I mean, walking through the sea. And, the, and if, you're, if you've never read the Bible, or you've, I would just encourage you tonight, check it out. Check it out. Read 15, Exodus 15, 16, 17. There's uh, water from a rock. He brings bread from heaven, all this stuff. And the people of God are just like you and just like me. As God does things in their life, what do they do? They forget and they blame. God, why would you allow me to come here? Because often I forget the opportunities that I have and where God has brought me because things become difficult. So my question for you tonight, and I'm going to get here real practical about the wilderness before I jump into that, is what, where is your wilderness and what is God trying to talk to you tonight about? What does he want from you? Where does he want you? What is he trying to communicate to you, right? This isn't just me talking theoretically about my life or uh, for some people's life. I believe that for all of us, he is, he is asking something from us tonight. And it says in Proverbs 4.18 that the way of the righteous becomes brighter and brighter until full day. And here's what's awesome. I believe Proverbs 4.18 teaches that if you cry out to God, if you make it known to him that you need direction in your life, 
it will become more and more obvious, just like as the sun comes up in the day. And you'll see, and it will no longer be about, not be about knowing which way you should go, but rather the courage to do it, the courage to actually do it. So here are four quick things if you would like to stay in the wilderness the rest of your life. For a lot of you, you're like, tell me, I would like to know. Uh, Number one, how to stay in the wilderness. Complain and doubt with others. The people of God, as they are complaining and doubting, they feared greatly, they're sitting there, and they have other people, and you would know what? Misery brings company. The power of the other, he who walks with the wise becomes wise, he who walks with a fool will be a fool. Uh, It is said that your five closest friends today will determine who you become in five years. That, That the people that you are around the most, that if you would like to stay in the wilderness, if you are around the person who hates everything, the glass is always empty, the worst is always on the way, it's never going to be well. If you would like to stay in the wilderness and not know what to do, just complain and doubt with others. That will be your best bet. Number two, continue to live in fear. The people of God feared greatly. And we talked last week about surrender. And when you fear something, and you fear something or someone more than the person you are supposed to fear, it will lead you to do things that you never thought you would do. So if I fear, um, my, let's just put it in a, in a context for you. If you fear the person that you are dating more than you fear God, it'll lead you, the Proverbs say, into a trap. If you fear the approval of your parents or grandparents or someone guiding you more than you fear God, it will lead you in a trap. Continue to just live in fear of those people if you would like to stay in the wilderness. Number three, Believe God has brought you to humiliate you. Some of you would say that you used to be close with God. You used to walk with God. Maybe you were on fire for Jesus, right? You went to camp. You went to missions trips. You were on it. You threw a stick in the fire, man. And then you started praying to God, calling out to God. And as you got closer to God, what happened? It got harder. Then you got baptized. You got in a Bible study, and it got more and more difficult And you believe that God was doing a work in your life only to humiliate you. If you would like to stay in the wilderness, believe that reality for you. And number four, blame it on someone else. I believe the people of Israel, this is what they do and what a lot of us do. They look for a leader, Moses, to be their Lord. They ask a leader to be what he cannot be. They don't necessarily cry out to God their whole run. They look to a leader and they blame it on Moses. Why have you done this? Why would you bring us here? Why would you do this? And when things go bad in your life, it is very easy and it will be a cop-out. And for some of you, saying this won't change anything. You'll do this your whole life. It'll be always the boss's fault. It'll always be your parents' fault. It'll always be the other person. It will, if you would like to live in fear, continue, continue just to blame everyone else to blame them for not getting the job, for not getting the raise, for not getting the grades, teachers, professors. If it is always, always someone else's fault, there is a common denominator. Eventually, eventually, you and I have to own up to decisions I make and you make or the ones we allow other people to let us make. If you would like to stay in the wilderness, just blame it on someone else. Now, real quick, again, seven things on if you would like to get out 
if you would like to get in a season to where you'd say, Mike, I'm in the wilderness, but these four things, I need something proactive, something that God would guide me, something that God would guide me. Here is how to get out of the wilderness. Number one, embrace our letdowns. So the weird thing about this, (laughs) I'm laughing because I feel like I'm learning this in some sense. Our letdowns is when we have an expectation and the expectation is not met from our standard. You would, some of you, you would like to be married by 21. And you know what? You're 21 in three days, and it's not looking promising. It's just not. But you haven't got a DM in months, right? You're just, it's, it's tough, right? And you're just kind of like, God, what am I going to do? Or for some of you, realistically, you would say, I need some opportunities for a job. I can't work this job forever. I just can't. Or, you know, I mean, you, you fill in the blank here. You got to do the hard work of bringing it into your life right now. When you embrace your letdowns, I believe that God is, you're able to see it from a different lens in what God is ultimately doing. Because my letdowns might not be God's, might not be his. That my letdowns are rather what I had in store for my life. And God, if you are following God, I do believe he has big plans for your life. Each and every one of us. I truly believe that. I don't think that's a cliche. But often I have to pursue him. And in the midst of pursuing him, dreams or expectations I had in my head, right? For some of you, you thought you'd have more money by this time. thought you'd have more cars by this time. thought you'd have more houses. I don't know. You thought you have it nailed down. But the sooner you embrace it and say, okay, my life is not my own. God, what have you done? I believe that is, for some of you, your wilderness season, you're not in the wilderness at all, but it's what you believe you are in. Other people would look at you and dream and pray for your life and your situation. They would. But for you, maybe you set the bar too high, or maybe you set it too low. Number two, obedience is number one. So this story with Moses, it's not about getting out of the wilderness. It's not about um, walking through the sea. It's not about turning the staff into a snake. It's not about miracles even. It's not about, you know, X, Y, it's not about all these things that are taking place. The, The thing that God wants from them is what? For them to fear him and worship him. That's it. He is delivering them from Pharaoh so that they are free to worship him. That's what this story is about. And all the way through, God just asks Moses to take one more step. One more step. So when obedience is number one, it's not about the outcome. It's not about what mom and pop say. It's not about what other people are going to think about me. It's not about any of that crap. It's about obedience. God, what, what do you want me to do? Because obedience is what? Often, often personal. Often, it's God trying to help you to take your next step, whatever that would be. Number three, expect it to look unwise at times. So, they're facing this closed door, right? And as they're facing this closed door, for us, as you're reading the story, you would think, why would someone just stand there and expect God to split the sea? That looks dumb. That looks unwise. That looks stupid, And when you're being obedient and you feel like God is leading you in a certain direction, it typically doesn't make sense to people who are not you. Why would you do that? 
that looks unwise because of these four things. And you would say, well, this is why I believe God's leading me in this direction and these four reasons. Well, that doesn't look unwise. And obviously, this is not a non-negotiable, right? This is uh, something a little bit different. Expect it to look unwise at times. Number four, um, is this embrace, plan for adversity. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says this, and a wide open door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You can go back to number four. When you plan for adversity, you are not shocked when it's hard. You're not shocked. You plan for it. You wrote it in pen. You got a tattoo. Adversity, right? Right on your forearm. You, you got it. You, you plan for it. Because when adversity happens, a lot of us, when you're getting out of the wilderness, you're like getting out should be sunshine and rainbows. Should be, I mean, we should have the dandelions out, the flowers. It should be sunshine. It should not be hard. But for them, for, for the people of God, and I mean, I could have used 10 different stories tonight. For them, getting out of the wilderness was just as difficult, just as difficult as it was actually being in. It's just hard sometimes. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or he's left you to dry. He, if things are not hard, you will never grow. You don't need him. If I don't have adversity, I don't need God. I don't need to, to press into him. I don't need to pray to him. I don't need to cry out to him. When things are just easy, the relationship's easy, the work's easy, the job's, and when everything's so easy, I don't really need him. I don't need to cry out to him. I don't need to do anything. It's just, it's just easy. It's, that, that's why God allows it. A wide open door, it says, was open to me, but there are many adversaries. An open door does not mean the lack of adversity. Number five. Be silent, and this one's a little tricky, and let God's battles be his. So when I say be silent, it doesn't mean like put duct tape over your mouth and just get through 2021, right? It's not what I mean. Um, I think being silent and letting God's battles be his in this story is relevant because you and I will take on things that we should not take on. We will take on burdens that aren't supposed to be ours, We'll try to carry things we, we can't carry for other people, and we'll try to, we, we, we can't even manage our own lives, and we're trying to manage everyone else's. We'll take on other people's offenses. They're not our offenses. We won't, and, and there's an aspect of this, Galatians 6.1 says we should bear one another's burdens, but I'm specifically saying if you're trying to get out of the wilderness, and you are so focused on other people's lives, and God can't even work in your life, sometimes you got to be silent, for more than 10 seconds and how awkward it is. I don't like it. It's weird. My mind drifts. You know I'm ADD. You know. I'm trying to count the snowflakes. One, two, three, four. <laughs> um, I've tried it. Um, you have to be silent because that is where God can do his work. Number six, move forward and use what you have so God tells them, why are you crying out to me? Move forward. Do something. A car that is moving forward is easier to steer, right? It's, it's just so much easier. It's, you're like, well, the power steering and stuff like that. So I, I get it. So you're moving forward when you take a step 
forward and say, all right, God, I don't know if this is the right step. I don't know if it's the wrong one. I don't know if it's at the wrong timing. But literally, there's no open door, and I need to do something. So I will step. And if it's the wrong step, knock me over. If, if it's not the right one, do something. I'm going to move forward, and God, if this is wrong, would you close the door? Would you make me look like a fool? And would I get closer to you in the midst? That is the one I don't like. I don't like that one. Why? Because I want certainty. Last week, we talked, I, I want the, the aspect of things of what I know they will be. You want to know who's, who's going to be your roommate? You want to know what road you're going to live on, what's your income, what car are you driving, how tall is she, what's her color hair. You want to know all the details and use what you have. When I don't realize what I have, I'll, I'll just, like I said, I've said it a few times and I'm not going to belabor the point. Number seven, and this one is really practical, write down progress. Numbers 33, two says this. Moses wrote down their starting places, stage by stage, by commanded of the Lord. You're like, I don't journal. I can't spell. <laughs> I can't. I mean, what am I? I'm talk texting. Number one, <laughs> I got it out. Go back to number seven. Write it down. When you write down progress, as God commanded Moses to write it down, it's easier to look back and say, oh, that's what he did. That's what he did in October. That's what the missionary told me in November. That's what he said to me at that service. That's what he did to me in that relationship. When you write it down and you are trying to get out of the wilderness, you're able to reflect and say, no, 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 no. He hasn't abandoned me. Look at these 10 things he did. Look at this. Because when I don't write it down, I'll probably forget. I'll, pro I'll probably forget. I, I, I mean, notes app just lit up. Number 88, like, you know, I ate food today. I don't know. You write down progress. And for a lot of you, progress would be different. And maybe in your relationship or in your career or in direction, progress would be, for some of you, going through hell right now. Progress would be, I actually got through the day. Don't laugh. I actually was able to go to church this week. Number three, I actually was able to read my Bible this week. I didn't cry when we had the conversation. When I saw my dad, I wasn't angry. When they brought it up to me, I didn't get pissed. Progress. For all of us, I think progress looks differently but progress nonetheless. I don't even know what my last slide is. Would you pull it up for me? What kind of open door am I asking God for? What am I asking him for? Because if you don't ask, why would he open it? And the, the prayer that God has put in my heart constantly is I have tried to make hard decision after hard decision after hard decision. They've only gotten harder. They don't seem to get easier. Right As they've gotten harder, and I've said this, I think, almost every series, but it's almost as I feel God leading or guiding me. The thing that God has put in my heart, and he often puts in my heart, is, God, I don't know if you're in this. I can't sense it. I don't know what I should do. 
I don't necessarily know how hard or easy this is going to be, but I want you, wherever you're at. If you're in this, I want to be in it. If you're in this relationship, I want to be in it. If you're in this direction, I want to be in it. If you're in this season of my life, I want to be in it. And God, if you're not in it, get me out. I want you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his suffering. Psalm 27, 4, the one thing that I ask of the Lord, that I would dwell in his house. That I would, that I want you, God. And if that is not your prayer, that you would pray that God would give you that prayer. For some of you, say, God, I, I don't even want you right now. I felt like you've humiliated me. I thought you've abandoned me. I don't even feel any of this junk. God, would you change my heart? Because you're the only one who can. God has not guided you to humiliate you. He has guided you and me to mold us. God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for your word and how it guides us. God, how it speaks to us. And I think of the stories of Moses and leading the people of God when he often, often had lack of confidence. He had lack of direction. Definitely didn't feel you. Definitely um, needed to hear from you. So Lord, I pray tonight that maybe just one thing, there's no way we remember everything, maybe one thing sticks out to us. Maybe it's just being obedient. Maybe it's embracing our letdowns. Maybe it's writing down progress, whatever that progress is. And God, I ask that you would minister to us. And maybe for myself and anyone who would say they're seeking direction from you, I ask that you would speak loudly and clearly when we are listening. And God, we give this time to you. And as we sing, Lord, would we remember that we are singing to you, praises to you, and for what you've done and what you are doing. Would you minister to our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand as we sing a few more songs? Mm-hmm.